Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And this podcast is brought to you by Everything's Everything's Coming Up Simpsons. Simpsons. Make sure to tune in on September 11th. We are talking about the episode Radio Bart with a special guest you may recognize. Hi, I'm Nancy Cartwright. And actually, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the (gasps) hell are you? Ah! We're so excited. this This is so good. This was one of our favorite episodes we've ever done. Mark your calendars. I don't know. You're probably already downloading it. What What is this life? Uh, September 11th, we are joined by, you already heard her, Nancy Cartwright. We're so excited. Please tune in. All right. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Last Rampage, the new true crime film starring Robert Patrick, Heather Graham, and Bruce Davison. And we had the pleasure of speaking to someone involved with the movie. Hi, my name is Heather Graham, and I'm playing Dorothy Tyson in the movie The Last Rampage. The Last Rampage is a true story about uh, Gary Tyson and how his sons broke him out of prison, and uh, it's a very dark story, and Gary Tyson is not a good guy. I play his wife, and I'm super loyal and devoted to him, even though he's pretty much the worst person in the world. One thing I think is interesting about the movie is a lot of these movies, they tell a story about like, oh, this rebellious guy who was this cool gunslinger and, you know, he did it all these wrong things, but he did it for the right reason. And I think this story sort of turns that story on its head because it's got, at first you think he's a cool guy, but then you're like, no, this guy is just like a selfish, self-centered, narcissistic jerk. I like stories about real people. I think sometimes real life is stranger than fiction. Like, I mean, some of the stuff that happens, you just go, I can't believe this is real, but it's real. And then if you do more research, it's even stranger than the stuff they put in the script. It's just like, sometimes real life is stranger than fiction. Don't miss Last Rampage, the true story of the prison break of Gary Tyson. In theaters September 22nd and available for on-demand pre-order August 22nd. Find out more on Twitter by following at LastRampageFilm or on Facebook.com slash LastRampageFilm. Welcome to the X-Files House. This is your host, Kamal Nanjiani. I actually don't have time to record a big intro, so I just want to say uh, this is Darren Morgan's return, writer of Jose Chung's From Outer Space. He comes back to talk about Jose Chung's From Outer Space, and we talk a little bit about War of the Copperfages, too, uh, but mostly Jose Chung's From Outer Space. So here we go. Darren Morgan. So just, okay, this is going to be even less structured than the last one. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's impossible. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hope, we'll see. We'll see. Because this episode, I've seen it so many times. Uh, uh, Jose Chang's from Outer Space. I've seen it so many times. And it, it just feels like there's so much to it that I can't really quite structure my thoughts about it. Uh-huh. So we just kind of have to right. jump around. Um, can I tell people the email you sent me? I emailed you last week being like, hey, you want to come talk yeah. about this episode? And you said, yeah, I can't wait to come and tell you why this should be your favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because um, uh, we talked about Clyde Bruckman and all last time. First of all, before we get started, how do you feel about this X-Files coming back thing? <clears throat> well, if it does, which I'm not so sh- sure that it will, it's very exciting. 
It is. Would you want to be involved? Oh, sure. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That would be so awesome. Yeah. That would be really exciting. Um, I think that I think it's going to happen. Cause that's what they've been all been saying in the um, in interviews and stuff. We'll see. You maybe know more than I do. Uh, I just know. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> all right. Very exciting. Um, okay. So you said that you'll tell me why. Yes. Do we? Should we talk about War of the Coprophages? No. You don't want to talk about you it. You know, I trying to listen to your uh-huh. episode. Uh huh. And I couldn't hear it through my tears. Oh, I'm sorry. Because you were like, this is the worst episode no, ever. No, I didn't. <laughs> no, we didn't. I like the episode even less than you No, do, so. no, no, so, no. Although I, I think I understand it better than you do. I, the War of the Coprophages? Yeah. Um, no, I, I, you like it less than I like it? I liked it quite a bit. Um, for me, that episode, I think we talked about this from all, from all of your episodes. All your episodes have such a strong thesis statement, I feel like. They yeah. all have like... This is what it's about. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. That's that's the one episode that I, for me, couldn't quite figure out what it was about. And because I know you wrote it, I'm yeah. looking for more than I am in most X-Files episodes. Uh, I, I, not to spend too much time on it, <laughs> but like the whole idea of it was we tend to think of ourselves as being like... Uh, intelligent yeah. human crew. We're, we're just we're th- shit-eating animals. Well, yes, and that we're, we're searching for intelligent life out in the universe. It's like, uh, okay, where's the intelligent life right. here? Right. And if you look at how, especially in terms of like um, mass hysteria or things like that, right. we do not use our intelligence. We become just Bugs. reactive yeah creatures yeah and that tied into there was an mit roboticist who was kind of based on the guy that built the thing uh-huh. and he had discovered by rather than trying to figure out how the brain works that if you gave a robot just sort of a simple um avoid this object move is that it would seem to have a consciousness that these robots seem to like oh actually have a life but they didn't they were just reacting to stimuli oh my and so it was that kind of idea of like we we think of ourselves as being so intelligent but we're We're we tend to just reacting to right stimuli or you know we just want to eat sleep and and hump yeah and that's (laughs) that's exactly that's what we talked about that in the episode because it's also you know Mulder's trying to uh, investigate this big thing but he ends up falling in love with this woman just because she's attractive it's human nature. Yeah, so, of uh, course. And she is very attractive. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and so it had all that sort of stuff. But the reason why I dislike that episode on several things, one is just it was really hard to write for some reason. And when I started, I thought I had all these great ideas. I go, oh, I'm going to do this, and this is going to be really fun. About And then once you're writing, you're going, oh, this isn't coming together. And when you're doing stuff on your own, you go, okay, this isn't working. I'm just going to toss it. But you're on a TV show. There's a machine. It's due, yeah. It's due next week. It's due tomorrow. Yeah. And so you're just stuck. And so it was just like the episode that's the furthest from what I set out to do. Right. Um, so that's why I've always sort of... And the other thing, too, is... Uh, and this will get a little into Jose Chung as well. Sure. Uh, I can, like... When I've had to rewatch the episode, like I saw it like two years ago, uh-huh. um, I you can I can really like tell I'm really forcing it, trying like be funny with the war or the just yeah 
just like there's like kind of going, oh, I need a funny line here. Uh-huh. And there's a kind of a tendency to just sort of try to a strain, I guess I would call it. Okay. Whereas in Jose Chung and like Clyde Bruckman, even though Jose Chung, I'm sure for a lot of people is like way too wacky. And for me, I wasn't pressing at all. That stuff just like... Just sort of happened. It just flowed, yeah. So it, uh, I, I tend not to like the cockroach one because I can see me trying too hard. Okay, if that makes sense. Right, I understand what right. you're saying. I, even if I don't agree with it, I understand okay. in your head you had this, the vision, and then you you feel like the script didn't get to where you wanted it to get to, which is a very relatable thing. It it happens in TV, and you have to just learn. To let it go. On yes, the- and it's really it's not it's hard when you're first starting out. It was really I wanted to quit. <laughs> I, I tried to quit. No, I tried to quit before I had finished the episode. That episode you tried to quit? Yeah, I went in I went in <laughs> I went in early and packed up my office and then I went into Chris. The script was due the next day. And uh I sat there. I went to Chris's <laughs> office. I was sat, sitting there for the longest time because I was like kind of having a nervous breakdown. And then, was he there? Yeah, and then Chris finally goes, he's just like looking at me, waiting yeah. for me to say something. I'm like going, ah. And he goes, uh, don't don't go any near don't go near any sharp objects because <laughs> i did look suicidal and i go i can't finish this yeah i can't finish this and he goes well where where are you i go i need another act it's like it was due the next day yeah and he just goes oh, go home and get some sleep yeah and then finish it and so that's what i did but i was i was ashamed too that was like i was a day late yeah with the script and i'd never done that and i felt ashamed what <laughs> if what if he had said okay you can quit you would have just left and it would have been fine? Well, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't I, would have, have, I would have been a coward. I would have felt awful right. from that. Yes. And the but, world but that's wouldn't why, have seen Jose Chung. Right. My God. But that's the lesson, I guess. It's like you have to learn, okay, these things happen. Uh, sometimes things don't work out as well as you would like. They're embarrassing. It's probably worse now because the internet, you know, everyone's going to tear you apart. Oh, and yeah. you just go, okay, uh uh, you you because not every work not every work can be your best work. Only one can. Right. That's what Stephen King said. As soon as he finished the stand, he was like, "I knew I would never write a book better than that." And he's been putting out a book every year. Because, because you always think you can best your best, well, and yeah. that's the thing. And then sometimes you don't, and you go, "Well, okay, I tried." Right. Onto the next idea, but I was I was very young back then, so. Well, and how did you come up? How do you come up with ideas for these? Because they all, all four of them have sort of a, like I said, like a thesis statement. So right. do you just look at like, all right, I think this is an important thing to me. Let's see how I can make an X Files episode about it. Or did you look at the world of the X Files and think of like sort of bigger philosophical ideas that that show could support? Uh, well, you know, I don't know where the starting point was. Like I said, a lot of times. I talked about last time. There's a, sort of a checklist of right. paranormally psychic, yeah. right? So, and I think actually, like, okay, the uh, Jose Chung, yes, okay. So this is the story of this because I think when I when we last stopped, like I was like talking about oh how I got hired and I didn't really want to be hired. Yeah. Okay, so I got hired, and you know, usually most people you go on a show, you have seen the pilot if it's not aired or you've seen how it you know. You've watched the show. So if you're going to go for a job interview, you you go talk to the showrunner, executive producer, and you usually have some ideas. Of course. Right? I didn't have that. Right? <laughs> so they go, oh, you're hired. And it was like, I had like a weekend to go, oh, what do I, yeah. what do, I do? I had no ideas. <laughs> right? And now I'd seen the show, 
because Glenn was on it. So I'd yeah. seen the episodes. So I go, okay, well, it's like aliens or something. So I'm going to, what can I come up with the aliens? Right? right. So I came up with the, uh, what became the teaser for Jose Chung, which is two kids are out on the road, aliens come down, start uh, abducting them, a third alien comes down, yeah. abducts them. But that's all I had. Yeah. Right. So that's all I had. <laughs> that's how you, that was the first idea that you had. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that I went in on Monday or whatever, and I wasn't even in, living in LA. I had to move to LA. <clears throat> that was another weird thing. Where were you? Uh, San Diego. Okay. So so I go into work, and we, the writing staff. This is kind of a funny story for your uh, looking back at the show, um, not including Chris because Chris was directing Dwayne Barry, so he was leaving. Mm-hmm. But this was uh, the the rest of the writing staff had kind of like a. Just a general kind of meeting. We're just shooting the breeze, and it came up like everyone like was like, "Okay, how long do you think the series could actually go for?" Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> and everyone like everyone agreed, three seasons, four seasons at the most. Yeah, right? that was as many seasons as the series could could go. Now this is a start. This was after the, you know we just started season two. Right. So, so, so you mean in terms of they would cancel it, or how many stories it could support? Both. Okay. <laughs> right. It was, yeah. How many stories? I right. think was the general idea. Uh-huh. And the reason why I remember this <laughs> is because then right after that, Jim Wong goes, "Okay, Darren, what what ideas you got?" Yeah. And so I pitched my alien abduction abduction yeah. teaser, and Jim's quip was, "Save that for season five. <laughs> right. Then he just said, "Don't ever bring that up again." Really. Yeah. He just thought it was awful. Really? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because in this one, you sort of throw out a lot of ideas that then later kind of end up becoming... I don't know how far you saw, but some of this stuff, different kinds of aliens, yeah. uh, the idea that it's all faked by the government, like a lot of that stuff starts coming into the actual show. Yeah, that's purely by accident then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Jim did not like your idea. Yeah, I think he just thought it was too sci-fi or too silly and... So well, the way that the episode starts, it's so it's so beautiful because it starts off with like a crazy mi- misdirect, right? You see what looks like a starship destroyer thing, right. and then it's just a crane, and you're like, "Oh, okay," because you see it, and you're like, "What the fuck? This isn't the X Files." And then right after that, after you think you've seen the craziest thing and you haven't, and then thirty seconds later, you do see the craziest thing, which is <laughs> a real UFO, two aliens, and then Lord Kinboat shows right. up. So it's, um, and I remember when I first watched this episode being like, okay, what the fuck yeah, you, is going you on? You hated it. You hated it when you first saw it? No, no, no. Okay. When I got to the cold open, right. when, it, when I finished the cold open, I was like, what is happening here? It's like, it, it just, because I know the show pretty well, and Clyde Bruckman, which is a great episode, is still very much in the tone of the X-Files. This was the first thing I'd seen that was so outside that tone that it was jarring in a really good way. Um, hmm. and then, and then, uh, so you, you preached it to Jim, he didn't like it. And then how did you, how did you come back to it later? Yeah. So I n- never brought it up <laughs> again, but then when I came back for the third season uh-huh. and now Glenn and Jim had gone off to do, Oh, you were like, no. Yeah. Okay. Now it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like the parents are gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing was, it's like, I didn't want to come back for third season after I survived humbug. I was like, uh. I'm done. Yeah. And Chris goes, no, you come back. You only have to do three episodes. Yeah. Right. And I had already been, I had the Clyde Bruckman idea. Uh-huh. A cockroach. But, but it was like, okay, a psychic. Yeah. Um, cock, robotic cockroaches. Yeah. And my alien abduction abduction. Yeah. But I didn't, 
have any idea beyond that. Yeah. And it, we were doing auditions for the cockroach episode. Uh-huh. And a guy came in to audition for, I think, the guy who at the end who goes crazy and tries to shoot mold or whatever. Sure, sure, sure. And there was an actor who looked and sounded just like Truman Capote. Yeah. And uh, after he left, like, we was, wow, like, I was just like Truman Capote. And it was just like, oh, Truman Capote. Like, at that moment, I go, oh, that's how I do that story. Yeah. And, like, it all, like, came to me. Just like, yeah. and I go, okay, it's done. Really? Yeah, you just go, oh, the, right, the rest writes itself. You just go, oh, it's Truman Capote. Instead of doing, you know, In Cold Blood, where he's doing uh, murder, he's a, he's a writer who wants to write a book about an alien abduction. And you go, oh, he's going to be able to t- interview everybody involved. And that'll be good because then, because you know, certain writers are really good at like going, okay, A leads to B leads to C leads like, and I'm really bad at that. So I like being able to like skip around uh-huh. because I just it's just right. easier for me. So the minute I I came up with that, I go, oh, there's there's a story. Yeah, and it was actually pretty. I don't want to say easy because it's never easy. It was easy. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's never ne- easy. It's never but, easy. But, but it was, it was once easy. you once you once you have that, you go, oh. Then you just figuring out the details. Okay. You know. Well, because it is, to me, such a complicated episode. There's so many different levels and layers. and Yes. Uh, I didn't realize this when I wrote it. I've now come to understand this. People really hate kind of any kind of uh, ambiguity or confusion. Yeah. They get really upset. People just want the facts. Yeah. You know, this this means this, this happens. This. Right. And it, I don't, I understand that to a certain point. Yeah. Because I too don't like to be confused. But I always felt like this episode, it was obvious that the confusion is part of the point of it. Of course. So it's never bothered me that people go, I don't, I'm confused. I go, well, you're, you're supposed to be confused. Yeah. In this, at, uh, to a certain right. point. So, uh. But that's why I've always understood why people don't like this episode as much. I think as I... people love it. And I honestly went back. I just recorded it. Do you know Dan Harmony? He's, he created Community. I did an episode, Jose Chung, yeah, with yeah. him. And we talked about this. Um, but uh, I, And I went back and I looked at the message boards. And even back then, because I was so curious to see what people's reactions were. Yeah. By and large, people immediately love the episode. There's, there's a small faction of people, very small, who go, ah, it's too goofy, like right. you were saying, too right. weird. But most people really got it. And, you know, for me, this episode, like you said, it, it's confusing, and it was a little, like, it, I was sort of obsessed with trying to figure out the story. Yeah. But I think the point of it, I don't know if I'm right, is that it doesn't matter because there's no real objective truth, so it's just whatever, however people experience it, it, it is all, there's a line where you say truth is as subjective as reality. So it doesn't matter what the real story is, because there is no real story. There's only the story as people experience it. And you sort of, um, all that matters is like trying to uh, narrativize your own life. And um, these people, uh, oh man, now I'm getting lost just talking about <laughs> it. But the, the idea seems to be that, that that big like sort of monologue at the end is like, right. we're out there looking for crazy shit. There's right. crazy shit here. Let's just try and connect with people. Right. Is that well? Well, yes, yes, and no. Oh, how's that for a definite phase? Um, Great, very Jose Chung. <laughs> this is what I find. This is what I find interesting about when people talk about the episode. Okay, they always bring up. Everybody has a different perspective in life. Right, it's Rashomon. They always mention right. Rashomon. Right, and like to me, that's just a given. 
Right. Because I, I think that's just like the starting point. Right. Um, and what I, I tend to notice people completely ignores the whole kind of hypnosis. Yeah, that's and, a big part of yeah, it. Right. And the fact that it's about memory manipulation. Right, when she says people are stealing their memories. My memories yeah. and any kind of the um, um, references to men in black, people being in a trance or feeling enchanted or any kind of hypnosis or blah, blah, blah. Um, if, you, if you are unsure of your memories, what can you be sure of? Right. Which is like basically nothing. Right. And it's that one pilot at the end was like when he's talking to Mulder in the diner going, I don't know if we're even having this conversation. Right. It's because he can't trust his memories. Right. So and if you can't, is, lies madness. Right. And so, so much of the episode to me has to do with... There's there's that there's the whole thing about being perspectives we can't blah 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 right. memory manipulation, but ultimately it just gets to a point of like these things about like is there is there aliens out in the universe uh, is there is the government doing mind control experiments blah, blah, blah. there's just certain things that are just so big and beyond our grasp or and. I just want to be in love with someone, right? right? And that in itself is almost impossible in this right. world. That that's sort of what the kind of episode to me is. Just like there's all this weird, crazy shit in the episode going on, and Mulder wants to know what's figuring out. Jose Chang, and ultimately, it's like some things you can't you can't get to the bottom of, right? And all you're left with is just yourself and your thoughts, and even those. Possibly you can't even yeah. be sure of, and so uh, we should all just try and connect with someone. Yeah, good luck. Because <laughs> all, yeah, because in this life we are all. What's his last line? We are all, we are all alone. We are all alone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought that you know, because it's an episode that to me always felt very intellectual. Because there's a lot of you know that kind of stuff. Like, yes, go ahead. But it has a cyclops in it. But it does. No, it's great. Lord Kinboat is great. Um, but it had. It felt very intellectual. And to go back to the hypnosis thing. The yeah. idea of someone having under hypnosis, recalling a different hypnosis session, is really funny. And I've never seen it before. And the way you sort of play with memory, with obviously the same configuration of different humans and aliens. Like there's the alien with the glowing coffee cup in the back. Like, and you see how, you know, there's a theory that every time you think of a memory you're basically changing it right yeah. and that's what sort of seems to be happening in this episode with these people is that each time that they're being hypnotized their memories are changing and so there's like different people repeating the same phrase is happening a lot different people standing in sort of similar positions is happening a lot and it's, it keeps getting muddier and muddier and muddier and I thought that was all very intellectual. And then his last monologue at the end sort of made it really emotional for me where it takes all this big, crazy stuff. And it's like, like you were saying, like, yeah, some of this shit just doesn't make sense. Try and fuck someone if you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, yes, that's the bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> no, because like I can, I can, I can tell you, oh, no, this is what happened. You can? Up to a certain point. Okay. I, for example, cannot tell you who the men in black are. Okay. I I don't know. It's Alex Trebek and Jesse yes. the Body Ventura. Right, but I but I can't tell you what their motivation is and how are they aliens? Yes. I can't tell you Lord Kinboat uh, <laughs> is he an alien? Like it's like uh, so I can go oh here's what happened and here's what's going on and I can 
clarify certain things. Yeah. But I myself go, yeah, at a certain point, I don't even know what what's going on. Right. But like I said, it's like at the diner, uh-huh. the pilot basically tells Mulder what's like going on. It's like, oh, no, UFOs. Yeah. Okay, it's just... We're the UFOs. Yes, it's a secret ship, and then we're just doing mind control experiments, yeah. blah, blah, And that all makes sense. Yeah. Okay, but then at the end when Mulder goes, well, who was the third alien? And then the one guy goes, who, who Lord Kinbo? Who, Lord Kinbo? Right. At that point, that's sort of me just throwing a wrench into the thing going, <laughs> see... You're not because Lord Kimbo, the only one who referenced him was Rocky, and he's apparently batshit crazy. Yeah, he's crazy, right? So at that point, you just like, oh, yeah, see, forget it. This all made sense, but then this guy throws in, so like, oh, yeah, give it up, give it up. Well, there's also, you know, Mulder's with the pilot, but then the guy who works at the diner says Mulder was alone. So, so you're sort of because the first couple times I watched it, I was sort of obsessed with trying to piece together the mystery and the puzzle, and then the last few times I've watched it. Uh, I'm sort of getting that the point is that there's no no point that there's nothing to really piece together, and that's not why I used to approach it as like, you know, this this puzzle to be solved. But now I just sort of watch it and experience it, and and sort of get what the the point is that it doesn't make sense. Yes, but I could I could clarify. I could go. This is my thing, but even within that within that, I could say, mm, you're you could either if you care to. Believe that Mulder did have that conversation with the guy in the diner, or he asked the guy and ate all the pie. Uh huh. You, you have a choice because who am I? You know, either way works. Kind right. Of in a weird sort of sure, way. Sure. I know. I know what I believe. What happened, right. and, and I could explain. Well, this is supposed to be that. But well, tell us. Are you okay? <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for you. Okay, you, you don't have the, to. Because I, like, I think we talked about this before, but I hated when Ridley Scott was like, oh, yeah, he was a replicant. Yes. I didn't like that. Yes. So, if, if, so yeah, so I don't want to ruin it for you. There, there's a, a line in uh, the original Manchurian Candidate. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I haven't seen it, but I know, yeah. I know what it is. Yeah. You reference it in this. Yes, because I'm, I'm just ripping off. All the hypnosis scenes are just a ripoff of the Manchurian Candidate. Okay. So that's why I have to like when you, you have to yes when you rip something when you rip something off you have to acknowledge it's like I know I'm ripping it off. Yeah 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 <laughs> just take it but just throw in the word Manchurian right. somewhere. So in the Manchurian Candidate there's a scene where Frank Sinatra's on a train and he's Frank Sinatra just had a nervous breakdown and he's on a train and he meets this woman I forget the actress and uh, they're having a conversation and the the actress says some line they're looking out at the railroad and she says some line like oh I helped build this railroad. And then she says something that implies she was once like a Chinese laborer, a man or something. Uh-huh. It's like makes no sense at all. Uh-huh. Frank Sinatra has no reaction to it. Uh-huh. And the scene continues and then the movie continues. And the movie is all has about uh, hypnosis and uh, mind control and stuff like that. Oh, so somehow she got those memories during one of those sessions. Or, like, there's there's no way of knowing. Right. If right, you right, read right. a Manchurian Academy about it, people go, right. they don't understand. What it is. And uh, when they came out with a DVD and you listen to the commentary track, they have, like, the director was John Frankenheimer and I think the writer and stuff. And I'm going, oh, here comes this scene. They're going to explain. <laughs> they're going to explain what this line is. Yeah. And then when they talk about that scene, they're talking about, like, the costumes or something. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, come on. Right. And so I was, like, really upset. But then the more I thought about it, you know, yeah. you know what? I don't, I don't know. Okay. Maybe I don't want to know exactly what that line means. Right. And so some of this is is along that kind of lines. Like I don't want to like 
ruin if I go, oh, this is what this means, or this didn't really happen. Yeah, it would like ruin it. So I don't want to. I don't want to be. I don't want to Ridley Scott it for you. Yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, I don't think you can because, as you said, <laughs> there's some stuff that even you don't know, and. Uh, because of that monkey wrench, he knows Lord Kinboat and all that stuff. There's no real yes. Here's here's where people get confused. Yes, <laughs> and, and I know this is why I can conf- I didn't mean to confuse him like this, but I now know this is why people get confused. Okay, so you watch the whole thing and the line. You're feeling very sleepy, very relaxed. Is the cue for a hypnosis session? Right, and it and it occurs three times until the end with the Men in Black. Say it to Mulder. Uh huh. Alex Trebek. That's Alex Trebek's only line. Right. He says you're feeling very sleepy, very relaxed. That's then thus a cue. Yes, I just said thus uh, is a cue that okay, a hypnosis session session is starting has just started. Right. And if you notice, I don't show the rest of that scene. Right. Because we go back to Scully going, oh, Alex Trebek, what? And then we yeah. never go back. To... Okay. So the implication is, the Men in Black have hypnotized. Mulder and or Scully. Right. Okay, anytime anyone has been hypnotized in the episode, you can no longer, therefore, like, trust right. their memory that's been manipulated in some way. Right. It would have made, it would have been easier for people to follow if in, like, the Men in Black movie, if they just had a wand and they turned it on and then people just forgot their memories. Right. It's easier to follow if they, uh, oh, memories a, have been erased. A neuralizer. Yes, whatever it's called. <laughs> That's what it's called. Okay, I made the mistake of going, okay, the people are going to remember their memories, but they're going to be tweaked in some way. Right, which is what hypnosis does. Right. So, so therefore, it's like Alex Trebek is not actually a man in, bla- a man in black. He's not actually hypnotizing people, but the implication would be you're going to remember this encounter. You're going to remember, if I'm hypnotizing you, Uh you're going to remember this interview with me, but when you remember it, you're going to remember me as being Alex Trebek, the host Uh of Jeopardy. Uh And so in your mind going, I had this thing in podcast and I did Alex Trebek. You're really crazy. Right. So there are details Uh that you go... Some of this is true, yes, and that's where people I, I now see get confused because you go, well, these memories aren't completely uh, uh, fantasy. They're not completely, right. they're an actual experience, but details have been tweaked. Right. And it would have it would have been easier if like the men in black were just kind of erasing any of the... But they're tweaking. Them. But they're, they're tweaking and they're doing it in a ridiculous fashion, which was... The- supposedly the legend of the men in black was part of the men in black legend yeah. was they acted bizarrely. So, so that nobody pe- would believe them. Right. So if you told someone about encountering them, like a, the, the detail I always remember is people would say sometimes that instead of smoking a cigarette, they would eat one. Uh-huh. Right? right. And so the whole idea of like the Alex Trebek thing is if, uh, I okay. If I said to you, okay, the other day I saw a U- UFO uh-huh. in the sky, you would go, "Oh, that's kind of weird." Yep. But you might believe me. You would have no reason to disbelieve me. Going, I'm not saying it was an alien saucer. I just saw like a UFO. Yeah. And but the weird thing is, the next night, two guys show up at my door, all dressed in black. Yeah. And they tell me, "Don't tell anyone what you saw." Yeah. The other night, even though I hadn't told anyone. Right. You would still go, "Wow." That's really weird. Yeah. Then, then I go, 
And one of those guys was Alex Trebek, the host yeah. of Jeopardy. Oh, this guy's crazy. Exactly. Right. And not only would you go, he's crazy, but then you would discount the fact that I saw you, UFO, yeah. you go, like, that's... Get out of my house. Right. So if anyone talking about encountering them in black, like Mulder, <laughs> right. mentions, oh, it was Alex Trebek, at that point you go, oh, okay, none yeah. of that must have happened because he's obviously crazy. Right. Right, yeah, no, that, that I thought that that's such a funny joke, the idea that it's Alex Trebek and Jesse the body, so that you, nobody nobody believes them. I think that's so funny. I also like the thing where you do where you where you show how the other people see Mulder and Scully, where it's like her hair was red, but like a little too, too red. red, and he's like a robot. Um, <laughs> I thought that that was really funny because you, you to them they're the men in black, right? And well, um, yeah, also too, so like. That Roswell kid and Rocky, uh, they do encounter the men. It's, it's, it's like anyone in the episode who encounters the men in black. You can't trust them anymore. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So there, and it, Rocky is an even more difficult case because he's also batshit crazy. He's been on crazy top of it. from yes. the beginning. Yes, yeah. on top of it. That's another yeah. layer of confusion. I, really, I thought it was so moving. I was just watching the episode again that the, um, the, the, the guy, uh, the Roswell kid, yeah. he's like, I didn't play all those... Years of D and D, not learn <laughs> a little something about courage. Um, when we cast that guy, uh, Alan Zinnick, I believe it was his name, um, Rob Bowman, the director. Uh, we got to talk about. Oh well, yeah, we got to talk about Rob. Please, please, please. Um, but that he cast that guy. He was a Canadian actor, and he cast him without me seeing him, yeah. which is very rare and kind of uncool. Yeah, like they, you never do that. Right. But Rob called me and goes, no, we, we had an audition. We cast this guy because when he came in and said he wanted to be abducted by aliens, you, you really believed him. Yeah. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I was like kind of mad. Right. And then I was on the set when we shot his stuff. Yeah. And going, oh, yeah. this guy is so great. And You believe it. Yes. And that's uh, that guy's performance is why... And this, uh, let's go back into Rob, is why I really love the episode. is And everybody has like a different line of like too over the top or too cartoony. Yeah. So to me, that guy's performance is the perfect thing where he does all this stuff. It's all funny. It's all, but yet you still uh, believe it. Yeah. And the same with uh, Charles Nelson Riley's performance. Uh, Rob was really good at keeping him you know, in control. Yeah. Because cause I later directed Charles as the same character on a Millennium episode. We brought Jose Doomsday Chunker. Doomsday Machine? Doomsday Defense. I've never seen it. I've never seen Millennium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> Should I watch that episode? Would uh, it make sense to me? Yeah, it's a standalone, so. Okay. Um, but working with Charles, it was really easy because he was so funny. To just sort of have him let him go swing because for the fences. yes, yeah. because it's really funny, and then you would have to really. Uh, and Charles was really good with it too, because you would you you just come up to him, he do a take, and you'd come up to him, and you go, uh, and he'd go, I gave you nine, you want a six. <laughs> yeah, so he, was, he had perfect control. Yeah, Charles his, doesn't rally six is the most people's <laughs> eleven. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but so like, Rob Bowman was the director. And and probably like a lot of people who listen to this don't understand like television directors they don't get to pick uh, their episodes. You're hired a television director is hired 
in advance. Going, just assigned episode. Yes, yeah. you're going to be episode 10, which shoots in March, and the director blocks that right. those weeks out. But they, they know the show, but they don't know the episode. Um, do you use different directors in Silicon Valley, or do you have like the same guys? This year, it's all Mike Judge is directing half of them, and Alec Berg, who's the showrunner right. with Mike, he's directing half of them. So we so don't have outside yeah, directors. That, which helps. It's a big help. It helps for... In, Ultimately, it's so, so good because yeah. those guys get the show and they're awesome and we're all, we all know them and it's really good. The one thing that is tougher is that it's tougher for those guys because oh, yeah. they're either they're prepping, editing, or shooting or writing all yeah. the time. So because of that, um, I think it's tougher for them. It's better for us as actors. I love that I don't have to get to know a new director and yeah. be like, ah, I don't think this really works. And they're really good. I don't know if I told you this last time, but they Alec has this theory, the Price is Right theory. Did I tell you that last time? He has this thing where he says, the Price is Right, you know, you guess a price and you can get up to the line, but as soon as you're over, you're fucked. Yeah. He says that's how comedy acting is. Like you can push it, push it, push it, push it, push it, but there's a line. And if you go above that line, if there's a joke that just goes over that line or a performance that goes over that line, then everything is just sort of dead and then there's no rules anymore and people don't buy it, right? right. And so that's interesting that you were saying that with Charles no, Nelson Riley because he gets really close to the line but never goes above it. I agree with that. And the difficulty is everybody's line is different. So you're doing exactly an episode right. and somebody is an actor, two different actors, they have a different <laughs> yes. line. And you ha there has to be someone that's always, no, right. the, kill, the killjoy. Exactly. Um, but that's where Rob comes because Rob was... Uh, Rob did Syzygy yes. earlier in the season. Right. And I don't think he had a very pleasant experience doing it. He was very uncomfortable. Because it was a big comedy. It was a comedy, and he's, that's not what he does. He likes right. the action things. Okay. And so I was uh, actually, I was, uh, Jose Chung was supposed to be an episode earlier. I was supposed to go in Hell Money's slot. And Chris called me when I was writing, going, I'm pushing you back. And he goes, because I don't want a new director to have to direct Jose Chung. That's very Be smart. Right. And I was all for it because it gave me an extra week to write. Yeah. I probably screwed over. It wasn't it was my decision, but I think Jeff Vlaming was the writer on Hell Money. So he probably had less time oh, to, to write. Okay. Um, but so I got flipped to, 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 to Rob. Um, and, you know, Rob's a great director, but I knew Rob hated comedy so like i was going well it's good for me i get more time to write but but i know rob's not gonna like this and, yeah. he, and he didn't right he really really didn't like the script um what was his reaction did he get it did he understand no, what you were doing no well no he didn't he he didn't really he didn't understand the story first of all he didn't understand the story he had real problems just trying to figure out what the fuck was going on and then on top of that the, the jokes Right. <laughs> so, but but it's my opinion that because he hated it actually made it better because i don't like you're talking about that line yeah i don't like comedy that's like too broad right yeah, yeah. and so he the because it didn't need to be because it had enough crazy shit going on sure in it. so he by keeping everything kind of I guess it's a grounded, really you know, grounded. say um, that the tone for me was perfect, 
Whereas in like later X File episodes, I think like for me they they went above the line because okay. it was sort of like okay we're doing a comedy episode. Yeah. And I think that the later episodes that do that are kind of similar to me to the cockroach episode. That the cockroach episode is me kind of going, okay we're doing a comedy let's uh uh-uh. uh. Whereas I you know the Jose Chung thing is much more. Mm. Yeah, and you same know. with you know Clyde Bruckman's a very very funny episode. But the subject matter keeps it's so it, dark, right? Right, keeps it. I think the trick with doing something like X Files, doing a comedy episode, is that you have to have the characters be consistent with all the other episodes, and their reactions still have to make sense. So in the context, it can be funny, but I don't think it can be funny to the characters, right? right. So it works in this one. It works in Clyde Bruckman because you have Peter Boyle, who's a very who's very funny in a very dark way, and so you have characters bouncing off a new character in this one it makes sense because they sort of uh david duchovny and and julian anderson have to act how other people see them so they can exaggerate a little bit so Mulder can be a little more robotic and scully can be a little more badass when she says you're a dead man and all that stuff that's not how she would never say that right but this episode allows them to sort of act slightly differently i i like that in syzygy which is one you just brought up the idea is that there's planets in alignment, so they're not acting like themselves. To me, like I love horror and I love sci-fi, but I love rules. Like there have to be rules. Right. And in that episode, which I did like, I liked that episode, but that alignment makes it so that all the rules are out the window, right? They can kind of do anything. Mulder can sort of make a crazy it's, decision. It's jazz. It's, yeah, <laughs> I, it just felt, to me, that episode felt like, well, even with jazz, it's always going to be it's going to be... I don't know anything about jazz, so I'm not going to finish that sentence. <laughs> My theory on scatting is, I don't know, I don't know. Satchmo, was he jazz? Charlie Parker, right? I know some names. But, but, but in that episode, because there's an alignment, then you can sort of explain away everything, right? Right. And to me, I don't like that. I like the episode, okay. In this one, it's all... It's funny because you're sort of seeing people's muddled memories and getting mixed up. So you see the alien smoking, right? Which I thought was a great mashup of two sort of iconic like X-Files images, right? The mm-hmm. smoking man yeah. and the alien and it gets smushed. Was that what the idea was? That at some point he's encountered the cigarette smoking man? Or is it just uh, a guy smoking a cigarette? It's, it's the pilot. At the, the pilot who's smoking a cigarette. Oh, yeah, right, that's the right, pilot. Right. So he's smoking at the <gasps> end. So that, right, of course, they, of course, of course. Of although course. in the original script, the only thing that was cut out of my script was at that part where the cigarette. You see the alien smoking the cigarette. I had Mulder going, "What brand is he smoking?" Because uh-huh. he wants to know if it's the same Morty's. brand. Is, right. And uh, Chris was like, uh, "Why is Mulder ask?" Yeah. Go, well, a cigarette smoking man. He's like, yeah. "I'll cut that." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was actually the only. The only thing that was like I cut from my script that little bit. Okay, um, yeah. that's. Um, but the the thing is, is that the reason why this episode didn't have to get like too wacky or had rule is because the phenomenon, the alien abduction type, yeah, already has enough craziness. Right, and, and, and that's like another thing that always drives me nuts. Uh, when people talk about the episode, because they're always on about how this is just a uh, parody of the series, right? And the thing that I always kind of get mad, not mad at, but like, uh, I like did like, I did so so much research and people forget in the nineties before the X-Files, there was kind of another resurgence of psych, these things go in cycles of the whole alien abduction. That's really kind of when it started. 
And like kids wouldn't understand this, I don't think. But it was taken really kind of serious, as seriously as it can be taken. And you had like books by Harvard psychology professors were bestsellers. Uh-huh. And it was kind of taken kind of uh, seriously. And if you don't know like okay what were people saying happened to them specifically if you wanted to show them one x-file episode i would suggest actually jose chung because the first act is actually the specifics of what people were saying were was were happening right during that phenomenon whereas the show very quickly got away from that if you if you you just rewatch the series they don't really do that many alien abductions no. You have like the pilot and there's just sort of the no one gets abducted and then like Dwayne Barry talks so you see him on a spaceship getting drilled in the yeah. mouth. And I think Howard did one in the first season but that was kind of like the after effect of someone who thought he had been abducted. Right, right, right. But the show once the show got into Black Oil and the Cigarette Smoking Man and Alien Bounty Hunter, it created its own mythology. That's why they, that's why they we called it the mythology episodes because it created its own mythology about what aliens were, ah. but it had no, that had nothing to do with what people were actually saying about abductions. What right. was happening to them? So that whole first act, like I was really, this is what people are saying, and you got Mulder asking all the questions to the girl before putting her under. It was yeah. like this. This was what people were actually saying was was happening to them, right. and that included. All the Men in Black stuff, which a lot of people didn't know about, because most people know about aliens or alien abductions, but they don't know about... Now they know it because of the movie. Because of the movie. But before the movie, it was like, oh, these Men in Black... And the whole Men in Black thing is, I think, too weird for a lot of people. Yeah. Like, it just becomes too weird. But people, uh, you know, that was part of... And what I kind of found fascinating was... And this was like... this is another conversation that Glenn doesn't remember. <laughs> so maybe it didn't happen. <laughs> See? But, yes, it could, it could yeah. have been hypnosis. Muddy memory, yeah. At, at the end of the first season, he was talking to a, an uncle of, of ours, and he was talking, it must have been for the episode EBE, because I think there's a dead alien in it. Right. There's a dead alien That's in one it. of the first... Right. Uh, you, yeah. And he was saying, oh, they wanted to try to come up with a different alien look, a different alien look, but nothing red is alien. Right. Once you just have a gray alien, people go, it's, it's an alien, right. and you can move on. Well, you brought in Lord Kinboat, and that's <laughs> a new look. Well, well, yeah. Well, but that's, that's one of the reasons is because I was fascinated by that when, when, I, when I heard Glenn say that, because when I was a kid, we did not think of aliens as looking like gray aliens. Is that right? Yes. I've always thought of that. I know that. Now, Close Encounters, when Close Encounters first came out, I saw it when it first was released, one of the big things about that movie is you didn't see the aliens to the end. But if you watch that film now, if you were a kid, and the aliens came out at the end, you would just go, well, yeah, it's it's an alien. Yeah. Like, what would you expect? But but it was a big thing when Close Encounters, oh my God, that's what the aliens look. Because aliens didn't look like that. We we hadn't agreed. Is culturally. that when we agreed? Yes, apparently. Around apparently, okay. because like when I was a kid, uh, I saw it was on the Mike Douglas show, which was a daytime talk show, <laughs> which is a weird memory. But it's also where I first saw Yuri Geller, oh, who 
was the inspiration for the Spanish Yappy. Uh, yes. Yappy passed away. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I heard just, about yes, that. Yes, we were all very, yeah. we were all depressed yep. about that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess a few weeks ago, we uh, wasn't yeah. clear as to what he, happened, but. He went to visit his mom who was sick back home and he passed away. Yes. That's, that he had a stroke. Yes. And we were trying to figure out how, he wasn't that old, so. No, he, and he was a stand-in for the last seven years for Supernatural. Yeah, he was a stand-in. Glenn did the film Willard up there, and he was Crispin Glover's stand-in. Glenn did Willard? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, Glenn did Willard. I was just talking about Willard just a couple of days ago. Yeah. So that's when I last saw him. I saw Yap on the set yeah. there. Uh, but that was that was quite a while ago. Um, the Mike Douglas show. Yes. Uh, it was just a daytime talk show. But he had these guys on who ha- claimed they had been abducted by aliens. And they had the artist's drawing. Yeah. And their drawing, it was more mechanical. And the thing I always remember was they had like Dr. Octopus arms with, okay. with pinchers. Okay. So I, as a kid, always thought that's what that's aliens, what aliens look like. Because right. it was on TV. When I was a kid, it wouldn't be on TV if it wasn't true. Right. So I, um, but, and there had been an earlier abduction in the 60s. I think the Hills, they were called that Hill family, that, Betty and Barney Hill or something. I I don't know all the specific. I used to know all these details. Betty back. and Barney Hill is a great <laughs> right. sitcom names. Right, but they were like I think they were like I think Betty and Barney are <laughs> thinking of Flintstones. <laughs> Maybe that's Betty right, Rubble yes. and Barney Rubble. Yes. Might, <laughs> that might be true. Muddy memory, man. But I think they were called the Hills. Okay. And I think they were the first alien abduction. Oh really? Yes. And uh, they made a TV movie with. James Earl Jones is the husband, and I forget the actress. And uh, those aliens were kind of gray, alien-looking. Like the ones we've agreed on. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then it came out, oh, they only remember that during hypnosis. And then someone, you know, the skeptics figured out there had been an airing two weeks before oh. of the, an Outer Limits episode, and an alien oh. was sort of similar. But so my, my point is that aliens have come to look they're now gray aliens now they accepted right look and the reason for that is either because that's what aliens actually look like or there's some cultural culturally we've we've come to go okay this is what we're going with right because like even as even the, the whole like i'm interested in like why are they gray because as i when i was a kid if you talk about aliens they would be green right but green probably seemed too cartoonish yeah so at some point, it became gray. Right. It's also green, like, is the color of plants and stuff. There's something welcoming about the color green. Gray, gray has that spaceship sheen. Yeah. Type of, type and of it makes too. sense, like, if you think about, like, okay, they're smarter than us, so their heads are bigger. They didn't use their bodies less, so their bodies are small. Their yeah, eyes... Small mouths because they talk telepathically. Yeah, it all makes sense. I mean, have you seen that Glass Menagerie episode of um, Star Trek, the original Star Trek series? I'm sure I have, but I don't know the titles. It's it's (laughs) great. It's a two-parter. It's the one where uh, Christopher Pike, who was the original captain, has to go back, and he's now paralyzed. I was just with the fanny heads. It's where what? I always refer to those guys as the fanny heads. Yes, fanny heads. This has the fanny heads. This has the fanny heads. Exactly right. Um, I, I, the, the, the thing you were talking about, not going above the line, and that actor Alan, um, I forget his name, but that part when he's talking about where he's like, "Why do you want to be abducted?" He's like, "I kind of like 
I don't have to find a job. <laughs> like, I think that's so, and like you said, it's so perfect because it is so grounded. And so it's heartbreaking. It's also hilarious. But it's, it's, it's really sad. Like you buy that guy. What do you think is, you know, it seems like we sort of obviously part of one thing you mentioned that people always talk about when they talk about the episode is like self-mythologizing and trying to tell your story and what, what you are and, you know, things like that. What do you think it is with all these abductions that real people, when they say they've been abducted, what do you think that is? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. I really don't have any yeah. idea. And I think um, that's always Scully's. I'm sure she said she said this line a billion times, but that uh, I don't believe that they're blank, but I believe that they believe it. Yeah. And so my whole thing was like, I don't know what, I, I don't, when it comes to like aliens and alien abductions and stuff, I'm just, I'm an, an agnostic. Right. I don't know if they're out there. I don't know if they're abducting. I don't right. know what's happening to these people. But until it happens to me, I'm not believing anything. Right. But if it all came true, if it all's true, I wouldn't be shocked either. Yeah, I think it's interesting because he, like what, what that guy's saying is basically that he feels unimportant. And if he gets abducted, then that, that, that makes you important, right? That makes you something. You're somebody. You're an abductee. It gives you an identity. And I think that's a big problem with sort of American culture is the everyone everyone has the burden of coming up with their own identity. We don't really have as much religion anymore or anything like that. And you're not as defined, but you know, there aren't like, there's like a hundred jobs people can have, right? It's not just like lawyer, doctor. So it's getting, it's harder to sort of, it's a lot of pressure to have to define yourself. That's like, you know, the American dream, like be what you want to be. Well, I don't know what the fuck I want to be, let alone how to become what I want to be. And I think a lot of that alien abduction shit seems to sort of come, which you hit on, I think it comes from that of like, I don't know what the fuck I am. It'd be so much better if just someone like gave me an identity of like, you're a fucking well, abductee. Well, it's also an, a nice excuse to go, this is why yeah, my life up. is so screwed up. I, right. I was abducted, so leave me alone. Right. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> exactly. I, I also find it interesting that um, everybody now has basically either a camera or video camera on yes. them at all times, and yet the sightings of alien abductions there's, uh, yeah. there's not increased one bit. Right. Yeah. So, which is, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Um, one moment I wanted to ask you about. Uh, there's a bunch uh, where Charles, well, Jose Chung is talking to Scully, and he's like, "What do you call them? Experiences or abductions? Yeah. I like an experience. What do you? What, what is that conversation? Like, uh, why? Why does Jose Chung prefer? Well, because that's that was people had different. Was it then, true? Yes. Back I then, didn't know that. that. Now it's like, all abductee. Yes. Right. But back then, there were some people that didn't. Uh, like I said, I had to do all that I research, that. and so I've forgotten it all. But like that, all comes from that. Right. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. that's really interesting. And then how was? Uh, how did you guys cast Charles Nelson Riley? Was he? Uh, I wanted Rip Taylor. Do you remember who Rip Taylor? I was? know who he is. I'm uh, barely he, aware of his work, just, but he's his, a, well. His whole work just. Was just had to do with confetti. Yes, that was his whole shtick. He just threw confetti. Is he oh, still? hello! I don't think he's still alive. Okay. That was, uh, hello, uh, that was his whole bit. He just threw confetti around. So I wanted Rip Taylor just because I thought he was funny and kind of a yeah. you know, kind of a bad sort of way. And uh, I cast him against Rob. Didn't want to cast. Him. I go, no, we're casting him. And then he couldn't do it. And uh, Charles had come in an audition, and he he gave a great audition. Like I was like, wow. 
I was like shocked because I grew up watching Lidsville. I don't know I, if you've ever seen Lidsville. I don't know what Lidsville. Oh is. my god, uh, Lidsville was a Saturday morning Sid and Marty Croft show. Oh okay. Uh, the I know guys, puff, and stuff. puff and stuff. So it was puff and stuff, but the premise was there was a kid played by Butch Patrick who was Eddie Munster. Okay. He goes to a carnival, goes into a fun house, and he falls into a giant top hat. <laughs> right, falls through into another world where everyone is a hat. Okay. It was a hat. That's cool. So you have like a cowboy hat who talks like John Wayne and a football helmet, right? Yeah. And the ruler of the kingdom was Charles Nelson Riley, who lived in a top hat. I think his name was Hoodoo. Uh-huh. Hoodoo. He had like... He was green hair, and oh, he always wore like a, a tuxedo with tails, and he had like this flying hat that he, and he kind of ruled over this. He was the evil warlord. Okay. That was the whole premise of the show. Yeah. And I, awesome. Well, I just heard an interview with Butch Patrick, and they're talking about, I don't know if it was Sid or Marty of the cross, but yeah. like one of them was obviously on acid, and you know, right. <laughs> yeah, it was all the thing. And, uh, but so like I grew up, like as a kid, I watched that not knowing someday I would be working, working with Charles. With yeah. right? And that to me, I maybe I mentioned that last time, that's to me is like the only thing about working in uh, like show business or whatever. The only kind of interesting or glamour, glamorous thing is like me working with someone that you go, I, I watched this guy as a kid. Yeah. And now he's saying my lines. It's yeah, like that's the only kind of, yeah, it's like the, and I just never thought that I would uh, enjoy working with Charles, right? <laughs> but he was just like great. Yeah, he was just great. And he had just he had just directed because he was a director too, and he was a, a teacher. Uh, he had just done a play with Rip Taylor, and he knew that we wanted that I wanted to cast Rip Taylor. He goes, he goes, you wanted to cast Rip Taylor, didn't you? And I go, yeah. And he goes. You're lucky you got me. <laughs> he's right. Yeah, because he goes, uh, he's he liked to go off script a lot <laughs> and stuff like that. But Charles was was really excited about doing it, and it was just like really uh, great. Yeah, everything about him. Um, to show you though, what like a kind of an idiot I am is when I was writing the script, uh, I knew it was going to be my last episode. So I go, okay, this may be the last thing I ever have produced, get produced. And I was kind of right in some place. Well, right? you did millennia. Yes, but that, that's it. Um, so I go, okay, this might be the last chance to work with any actor. I ever want to, who do I want to work with? It's yeah. like, out of everyone, I actually, my choice was Jesse the Body Ventura. Awesome. Yeah. Why? So Were you like a wrestling fan? Yes, I was a wrestling fan as a kid, and Jesse the Body was my favorite wrestler, right? <laughs> Because I don't know if you were you into wrestling at all. I mean, I was, but yeah. after Jesse the Body, but I've been aware of him because you know he's in movies and right. stuff. So, but, but he hadn't, yeah, he had when I was a wrestler. I just liked him. He was a terrible wrestler, but I just thought like his interviews and commentary. I just thought they were hilarious. He's very charismatic. Yeah, yeah. and just the kind of the persona he has of like the braggart. Yeah, I just thought it was hilarious, and he had been in some like Schwarzenegger movies. And yeah, predator. Uh, predator, but like I th always thought they misused him because they just use him as like the big tough guy. Yeah. Or to me, he was really funny. Yeah. So I wrote the part for him. Yeah. Now this was before anyone really outside of wrestling didn't really know him. He had been in like Predator. This is before he like became the governor, governor of, yes. of yes. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Right. Yeah. So I wrote the part for him and cast him. I was all excited. And then I met him and then I realized that his persona... 
wasn't really an act. It's just him. <laughs> yes. There's no Jesse yes, Ventura. There's only the him. body. Right. And so I had to kind of readjust, you know. <laughs> so, but like it was like he had been the mayor of his of some small before governor. He had been the, right. the mayor, and I remember going, uh, "How long? How many terms did you serve?" And he goes, "Only one, because I'm a Jeffersonian." Right. Oh. And I remember just like laughing. What? But then yes, I just laughing, and then like. He wasn't trying to be oh, funny, he's not right? Serious. So it's like, serious. yes, and so that's kind of what he, kind of what he was like. And then, okay, and then, but okay. that can work really well for an actor because you don't want that character to think he's funny. He was perfect for the part. Yeah, he he was a he, he did everything I could have ever hoped for. In the part. <laughs> but we were on the set, we were on the set shooting the scene when he body slams the Roswell kid, Very and, funny. And, and Duchovny was there because he later comes in and slaps the kid or whatever. Yeah. So me and DeCovney are sitting there. Now, this was another thing that people probably forget. Around this time, wrestling had not yet admitted that it was fake. Oh. And there had been a couple instances where journalists had asked wrestlers, is it fake? And they had, there was one wrestler who slapped a reporter and he was suing him. Like it, And they had the video footage. It was like... It was still a thing. Where it was like you can't ask a wrestler uh-huh. if it's, it's fake. It's crazy or not. that they've kind of admitted <laughs> yes. it. Yeah, but this was back when it was still. Yeah. So I'm sitting with the company, and we're on those little chairs, you yeah. know, whatever. So where you always look like a little kid on those. Yeah, things. yeah, yeah. Your legs don't right, touch the ground. Right. And so Jesse, the body, he's like standing up, and the company. I don't know how he started the conversation, <laughs> but it wasn't he. He started the conversation with the assumption that wrestling is fake. Right, because like we're all adults here. Yeah, let's just right. be so. People. The question was something yeah. like, you know, how was it decided? Like who, like who got who, to win that night? Yeah, <laughs> something like that, right? Yeah. And so Jesse, the body, I don't remember what his response was. Just like basically, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so like, so like Dave's like, oh no, I mean like, you know, how how was it decided? And he's like, how did you rehearse? And, and Jesse's like going, oh, we travel like 300 days a year. Who has time to rehearse? What are you talking about? You know? <laughs> and so like, but David wouldn't let it go, right? And so like, I'm sitting next to him. I'm just going, David, <laughs> and it just kept kind of building and building. And so finally, I don't remember how it ended, but but Jesse's body of interior just goes, hey, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Like he wasn't angry, yeah. but he was just like, uh, your questions are ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then he sort of started off the set and David looks at me and he goes, does he really expect us to <laughs> pretend that it's real? I go, I don't know, man, but don't bring it up. Don't bring him Because I just had this image of him being body slammed, yeah. you know, and like breaking his nose yeah. or something and I'd get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. What a weird... It's also becoming now wrestling. They all have mostly have their own real names now. I'm not into it anymore. Weirdly, yeah, people don't... my age, I'm friends with a lot of comedians and stuff who sort of grew up with wrestling. Now it's kind of back. Like it's become okay to like it again. Like I liked it up until this is well after you, but like Owen Hart was a wrestler yeah. and he died in oh, the yeah, ring. Yeah. And that's when I was like, fuck this, I was done. And I jumped off. But now people are back and doing it. Like, people are into it. Like, the Royal Rumble just happened, and people are interested in it, in it again. And I don't... It's like, yeah, it's like a soap opera. Yeah, I left it for a long time. And then Glenn was going to do a project with The Rock before Ro- The Rock had done anything. Yeah. And so he started watching it again, and I watched yeah. it for a little bit, and I haven't uh, yeah. kept up with it. So. And now The Rock is the biggest star in the universe. Right. Um, it seems like you guys had a lot of autonomy to like sort of write what you want. First of all, when you did Jose Chang, did you? 
How did you pitch it to Chris or whoever you have to pitch it to? Like, how do you explain that episode? Well, I had mentioned uh, the alien abduction abduction, so he knew I was working on it. And did he know? Did he know that the whole thing of the story was going to be sort of muddy memories and unreliable narrators and stuff he, like that? Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, it just the things. And maybe I didn't mention this last time because I always like to mention it. Is that the X Files didn't have a writers' room? Oh, you guys didn't sit in a no, room? No, no, huh. not when I was there. And I hate writers' rooms. And what it what it was was like everyone kind of knew what everyone was kind of working on. You know, so and so had a ghost story, or so and so was doing astral projection. He was doing alien. Were you guys all in the same building? No, no. Just right from home and stuff. We had yeah, 20th century Fox lot has those weird cottages and stuff. Right. So we were all kind of spread out in okay. kind of a general area. But when we were, we were writing, I just stayed at home. Yeah. Um, and what would happen is like you'd come in and like you'd go, oh, uh, like a writer would go, hey, could you come over to my office like for a couple hours and just hear my story and help me? But, you know. Yeah. So it was all very informal. Yeah. It was rarely more than one or two people. Occasionally... Chris would say, okay, we're going to work on so-and-so's story. Yeah. So bring this thing and everyone come in. Yeah. But like for me, I, I just didn't like working with other writers. I didn't like talking about my ideas because yeah. they sound really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and if you doubt me, I've come to realize this because I've worked on a lot of shows that have kind of supernatural elements to them. Imagine, to take whatever your favorite X-File episode is, and then imagine saying it out loud for the first time. Oh, right to a room of people who are cynical to begin with yeah. and you haven't worked the idea out yourself. Yeah. It just sounds stupid. And so I was always really reluctant. And like I said, just, I told Jim, my teaser ideas, like, yeah. Oh, don't ever yeah. do that. So I was always hesitant. So I broke the story myself. And then once I had it all figured out, I pitched it to Chris and he was like, great. He mm. liked it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm shocked and looking back now, that he had no problems, and this is another reason why the show wouldn't get made nowadays. It has nothing to do with the mythology, and yet there's no way they would let that happen nowadays. It's like too close aliens. You would you, right. you wouldn't be able to do that nowadays. They'd go, it's too similar. It has nothing to do with the mythology, but on paper it would seem like it does. Right. Like aliens. And, and my feeling was like, well, not every. There's not just one alien. Yeah. Right. If there's other, if there's aliens out there, yeah, there's gonna be more than one, and yeah, and the government, it's like, CIA doesn't know what the FBI is doing, is don't know what Homeland Security is oh, doing, yeah. the military is doing something else. So it's like you can have, in my opinion, you could have different government, yeah, conspiracy things, and yeah. it's not gonna. Aliens interfere. have their aliens too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah, and I so 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 I always would like I said when I first watched the episode a couple of times it was infuriating not in a bad way but I was like what is the real truth but then you sort of realize like and it really was a pretty it's a pretty emotional ending and it's a pretty big idea I mean it's to end a popular show on TV with the line we're all alone, alone is pretty devastating. Uh, I remember writing the ending speech. And what was weird was my plan all along was, oh, I got to end on Mulder and Scully because they're the stars of the show. Yeah. But then writing, you know, oh, I can't end on them. Right. Because they're not the emotional kind of uh, part of the 
No, and it's like so sort of it becomes about like, you know, you're trying to create your own meaning so that guy wants to be abducted, you know, and this guy is talking about a religion with lava men and Mulder <laughs> is jacking off to Bigfoot. <laughs> we got to talk about that. Yeah. And that guy just she wants to love this woman, you know, so it's a, I think the idea is like nothing means anything. So kind of everything means something. So create your own meaning and that's what's important. But then even the thing is like the things that are important to you, it's so hard to find other people. Who will give a shit about your, you and your world and all that yeah. stuff? It's just the difficulty of. I mean, that's what when Dan and I talked, we talked a lot about like how everyone has their own subjective world, and then you, someone else you have to like. So, a relationship is having two subjective worlds that can sort of coexist together, or at least be able to support an intersection. And I think that's what's hard about finding a real connection with someone, right? Is that your reality, their reality? I'm shocked that we can even just have. Daily conversations. <laughs> I don't know how we do it. I, yeah. I feel like we're all from our own planets. Right. Just the way we were raised. Everybody's everybody has a family, but everybody's family is so different. Right. I don't know how we interact at all. I don't know how we do anything. Yeah. And you know, at this time I was just watching it, and he says, Charles Nelson Riley in the beginning says something like, "I'm not looking for aliens because I feel like an alien," and I think that's sort of what this episode is. Right. We're all. Mm fucking aliens. aliens on our own planets we're all aliens on our own planets and you know sometimes we can get a connection but most times we're just masturbating to, to bigfoot so, <laughs> no, so that no, do you think people that don't like Mulder and his porn thing what does do you think it disturbs them more that he watches porn or that he watches Bigfoot footage in the same way that he watches. <laughs> that was clearly the implication, right? He's like that he's masturbating. It's so funny. Um, the the porn thing was interesting because I've been tracking. Uh, it's sort of people sort of noticing it on mm -hmm. the message board. So in the beginning, it's a little bit. And I noticed two things. One, um, it took people quite a while. To be like, oh, he's got a porn thing. Because some people will be like, hey, did you notice he has a porn thing here? Yeah. And people are arguing, no, that's just coincidence. They don't have a thing. The other thing, I feel like porn now is way less demonized than it yeah. used to be because of the internet. Yeah. Back then, people thought porn was, you know, only perverts watched it for yeah. the most part. So there's a lot of like people like that were like, Mulder wouldn't watch that. He's not a he's not a pervert. And now I think because we have porn so readily available, like it's sort of become normal yeah. to admit to watching it. So, so it was interesting. So that's how it is. It's happening over there. And it's also I'm seeing both characters getting more and more sexualized in the conversations too. Oh, like Mulder and Scully are becoming like sort of sex symbols and people are photoshopping like heads onto naked bodies and stuff a lot more. <laughs> well, they also, there was a porn X-File. Oh, you know how sure. they, yeah, yeah. There's so many sex yes. files, XXX uh, files. I believe I mean, it was the breast file. The breast I, I, files? I, I don't remember the That's title. That's way better than anything I could have come up with. <laughs> I don't remember the title anymore, to be honest with you. I'm sure. Especially <laughs> with like um, sci-fi stuff, there's a lot. Like there's the Doctor Who stuff and things like that, you know. Um, why did you... And Again, I'm jumping around a lot. I have so many goddamn notes. Um, stories we tell what's, ourselves and other people. What's the highlighted one? You get a highlighted question. I think this is you. Oh. <laughs> I think you said everyone looks at Mulder as having all the answers. Most yeah. of the other episodes present him as usually right. This is you, right? I've always found <laughs> that the things he talks about, if a normal person talked about them, you'd go, this guy's crazy. He's supposed to be a smart guy, but I've never looked at him as such. He's just more lucky in some of his explanations. And Scully, although skeptical, has the right approach when she says, I don't believe it. Before I wrote for the show... 
Mulder always seemed like the more interesting character, but once I started writing for it, I found that I liked Scully more. Yeah, that sounds like something I'd say. Right? That sounds I, like something you'd say. Yeah, I don't I know if like I... Yeah. In, in all your episodes, you do seem to... Because the last time I asked you, do you hate Mulder? Um, <laughs> and I got a lot of reaction to that, to me asking you that. Uh, but someone t today tweeted at me about that. But I feel like Scully here, there's one part where at the end when he's summing up in his monologue, he calls Scully like, what does he, what does he call Scully? He calls her um, here. A federal the, employee. <laughs> well, she's a federal employee, but, but he, he calls her something like really nice at some point where he says um uh I, yeah it's like yeah noble spirit and pure of heart right which she is yeah diana lesky right. yeah so she's noble of spirit and pure of heart and Mulder is jacking off to a, <laughs> a video of bigfoot but that's what Mulder is doing right i mean he's sort of looking for meaning in his own way which is this crazy quest and it's Probably the stupid, stupidest way to find meaning because you'll never get to the truth. Well, it's also if mold if if you found out that aliens do exist, how would it change your life tomorrow? My life? Yeah, you'd go. Oh my God, that's incredible. Okay, I gotta get up I gotta tomorrow get and up, go to work and pay my bills. It, yeah. it, like, doesn't change anything. That's and, the thing is, like, if Mulder gets it, like Joker in. Dark Knight has a speech where he's like, I'm like a big dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what I would do if I caught up to it. I feel like that's how Mulder is. He's the big car of truth where he gets to think, okay, and now I don't know what I would I do with this. There's no real end in sight. Although I, I really like Mulder's speech at the end to Jose Chung. Uh -huh. because, oh, he's like, this is already like a crazy yeah, thing. Yeah, because it's really starts off very heartfelt. I think David's performance is really good there. And then he immediately, without kind of any transition, immediately goes into slightly crazy going, this is a, a military industrial yeah. <laughs> entertainment, entertainment complex. complex. It's, it's like a, a great it's, line. It's, it's a nice little performance. There, yeah, right? that's such a great line. And I think, I think probably Duchovny liked doing your episodes because he like, he got to do stuff that was so outside of his zone. Like the the, the yelp he does when he sees oh, yeah. the alien. No other episode could he do that. I the thing I love the, the yelp is that I've seen it so many times over the years, but I laugh every time, it's, and it's very rare that something. Yeah, I think he did another take, and it was more of a cat. Yeah, like <laughs> so yeah. I'm sure it exists out there somewhere, yeah. but I think I had two two takes of that. But the yelp always makes me laugh. You guys just did two takes. Yeah, we rarely did anything more than two takes. Is that right? Oh, yeah. How many? That's crazy. Well, we, pro uh, well, we probably printed. Yeah, we probably did more. Yeah, there were two that were uh, printed. Speaking of two takes, I'm going back to the cockroach episode real quick. Great. Um, I'm excited. Her name is Bambi. Yes. Okay. In the script, she only says that once, but we had two takes of it. And when I was cutting, I went, hey, it would be funny if after oh, Dana saying yes, Dana, Dana, yes, her name was Bambi. <laughs> yes, so she's Bambi. Bambi. So I go, it's slightly different. We got two takes, but it's slightly different. It's so let's so go funny. back and and that was kind of when I started learning. Oh, you can create things in the editing room. Yeah, you know, you learn these kind of things. Yeah, so. totally. And I watched like. Well, because the most involved I've ever been acting on a show is Silicon Valley. I've done other shows, but that's the most I've ever been involved. So it's interesting to see how it's on the page and when you see the edit. And you're like, oh, you guys took one scene, made two scenes out of it. And you, it, it's really, really interesting. I, 
you have to, as an actor, just have faith in the people you're working with because they completely yes. control reaction shots and stuff. And yeah, uh, I remember working for Glenn on like 21 Jump Street, and I had like this speech, and I was like really worked hard. And then like when you see the episode, of course they're not on me. They're on one of the lead oh, actors. Yes, and I'm saying my speech, they cut away to the <laughs> star. You know, so they're not going to show you. So like you go, oh, that's how it works. Yeah, that's it's right. so interesting because I always, I think of, uh, you know, when you're acting, you think, oh, the camera's going to be on me until I finish talking. Then it's going to be on the other person while they talk, then back to me. But I watch this movie that I'm in and there's one part that I was like, was a big emotional moment where I have to like say something big. And it's not on me. It's on the person who I'm saying it to. Mm -hmm. And I never thought of it like that. But I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because what I'm saying is more affecting to him. So what's more important is how he's taking it rather than how I'm saying it. And it was just really good directing. But, you know, when you're acting on set, you don't think about any of that shit. You're so like, I get so like in my own world. And I'm just like, every single thing becomes so heightened and important that you don't. And it's good, I think. I think you do the best job you can and then trust that the people will use... You have no choice. <laughs> will we'll, we'll use what you give them, yeah. Um, the this is not happening thing, that makes sense. I, I don't know, the, the alien smoking and then the pilots later saying it, this is not happening, this that, is not happening. You know, that's a thing that... Uh, another weird thing was like what I like about the episode, um, but it's kind of weird thinking back. Um, back in those days, you know, you a thing aired... And then there was no guarantee that it would ever... It's gone. Right. Right. You would hope that maybe it would be rerun in the summer, or you hope that a show would go to 100 episodes and get into syndication. Right. But there was no guarantee of that. Right. And yet so many of the best episodes uh, are better on repeated viewing. Yes. And this episode, like what I'm proud of is how many... Uh, like... Um, I love the um, this is not happening line. Yeah. Because when you first see the alien saying it just seems like a joke line. Right. But then you see the pilot saying it later and you realize, oh, no, he's actually trying to convince himself. Right. And there's a bunch of stuff like that. That It's weird that we did that because we never talked about that. Like, oh, when people watch this a second time, because the assumption was no one would watch it a second time. But this isn't particularly an episode that benefits from multiple viewers, especially... Like uh, what Ho Tin Chung says in the beginning, how we're all alien and stuff like that. Or when he says, uh, everybody starts their story with, it's going to sound crazy. But, but I think that's a really great way of sort of, again, to go back to everyone has their own truth kind of thing that you said everybody talks about. But that's such a great way to set it because it's really funny, but also really profound and, and kind of true. Yeah, you get the joke first and then, and then the he, deeper thing yeah, um, and that's throughout the episodes. That's I what I liked about all your episodes is that you sort of got these big ideas out a lot of times through jokes, and they all seemed like they don't seem like pushed jokes or whatever. Like the the moment in Clyde Bruckman when he tells her the, the whole story of how he's decomposing, or tells Mulder the whole story, of how he's, and he's like, "Okay, good night." Like that's a really <laughs> funny moment, yeah. but it's a it's it's sort of you know real reminder of everyone's mortality. But then there's a little like funny little thing at the end. <laughs> That's a great, that's such a, I mean, both these episodes, I'm, uh, yes. I'm trying to remember what I was going to, what I wanted to remember. Oh, oh I'm sorry. So I'm skipping around too. Yes. Um, the Detective Manners. Yes. Cursing. Yes. Uh, Blank hole. Yes. 
uh, what was funny, I didn't, I went back the last time we did and I was going through my censor notes. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd forgotten originally the first draft was just, uh, I was using like initials or something. I was just abbreviations or something. Or like F or Yeah, a, I don't remember yeah. how I did it. But the joke was, and this is way too inside, uh, at the end, the censor is known as the broadcast standard in practices. Yeah. But they always refer to themselves as BS&P. Uh-huh. So the last line is, instead of the detective going bleep, yeah. I had him say, well, I'll be BS&P'd. <laughs> and, and the censors go, no, they wouldn't let any of that. Why? Because they didn't want to be they called just, out? No, no, no. They, but, uh, they didn't want him to do any of the stuff. Uh-huh. And so like, well, what if he says like, blanketed being like bleep or something like that and i don't think they thought i was serious yeah and they like at first they said no to that did the thing blank yes it's like bleep and blank they said no to that as Why? well i don't know and so my argument was You're making people say swear words in their heads right <laughs> so they didn't like it so my argument was look scully is telling the story and so she's actually doing your job for you yeah right and so she's saying blankety blank bleep and so we know that they're cursing, but they're not cursing because Scully is censoring them. So what's the problem? And they, they went with that. Right. But the blankety-blank bleeps is so much funnier than whatever so I had funny. And I had forgotten that in Humbug, I originally, the Scully was going to eat a razor blade. Instead of a bug? Yes, because in, in the Enigma, the Enigma was the name of the guy that played the conundrum. In his live act. My wife has met him. Oh, he's a nice guy. Yeah, well, he was like weird to her. He came up to her and like growled at her. Oh, wow. That's his way of saying hello. Yeah, I think he wanted to say more than hello. (laughs) Well, in his live act, he eats a bunch of live maggots. And I go, well, they'll never, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. First, I didn't want to see someone eat live maggots. But I go, well, they'll never let me eat a live insect. Yeah. I just, so I go, well, I put in razor blades and the censor said no. Yeah. Because they didn't want kids. That's so weird. And so that I was shocked going, well, can he eat live insects? And I didn't think they'd let me. And they go, oh, yeah. sure. I was like, what? Can he eat a big bowl of crickets? No problem. Oh, great. So, so that's so much better than what I had. And it's weird that sometimes the censor would throw in weird things. Yeah. That, that you would have to come up with a better thing that you had before. Yeah, and what it also does, it's interesting, all your stories kind of comment on the fact that they're stories a little bit and that they're produced for TV. Well, um, well also, to that whole thing, is I wanted to kind of remind the viewer that they're being told us through Scully. Right. And right, right, she's right. censoring that. You don't know what else she isn't telling you. Right. So you oh, can't... that's interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of blanks there. Yes, I need a an out to go, oh, maybe that really happened, but Scully yeah. told it this way. And... There was one interesting uh, thing. I host a show for Comedy Central called The Meltdown. We were talking yeah. about it earlier. And um, so we did. My friend T.J. Miller, who plays Ehrlich on Silicon Valley, he's the big guy with the hair and the right. beard, the big brash guy. He does a joke. It's really funny. Um, I'm going to say a word here because it's in the joke. He does a joke where his his grandfather's dying and the joke is what if like everyone thinks about their last words and what if his final words are... It's such a long setup, but the final words are fucktards must die. And then he dies. <laughs> and he's like, well, do you have a conundrum? Are you going to tell people? Right. Do you do not tell people? All this. So it's a really funny joke. It does great. And he says fucktards a bunch of times. And then S&P notes were, well, bleep that word. And we were like... 
oh, we can't because it, that yeah. word is important. Yeah. They were like, you have to bleep both. And then so we kind of fought and we're like, can it be bleeped hard? Because so, people have to know what that word is. And then they let us. They let us have that. They let us bleep have tarts. bleep tart. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they let us get away with like just a K at the end of the fuck. Yeah. Like so, it'd be like bleep, k- like that kind of stuff. Like yeah. we would like kind of push it a little bit. But that fuck dart thing was a big argument because we were like, without that, the joke is nothing. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, so they uh, they had the sensor side of thing in this where. Mulder's driving and he sees the Air Force guy walking along saying yeah. he's naked. He wasn't naked when we shot it. He's wearing something, but it looks right. like he's naked. And they said, oh, no, you, you can't cut that. He looks like he's naked. <laughs> and we're going, well, he's supposed to be naked, but he's not naked. He's not naked. Right, because no, but it looks like he's naked. People will think of a naked person. And so they had to add a visual effect of the headlights, a headlight Mulder's headlight beam going across the middle of the frame. Oh, wow. Yeah, so if you look at that, there's like a beam going across the thing because it looked like he was naked even though he wasn't. <laughs> I swear. That's crazy. There's so many like you 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 have you brought like those SP notes last time where yeah, yeah. they wouldn't let you say maggots. Yeah. A crazy <laughs> thing. It's it's so interesting and weird, like the things that they sort of plant their flag on. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Um all right. Well, is there anything else? I mean, this episode uh, has so much stuff. Quick, uh, how are we, are we way over? You're fine. You're oh, fine. Um, the Alex Trebek, the Alex Alex Trebek, yes, uh, casting him for the other Men in Black. Um, so originally, the idea was I wanted uh, Salman Rushdie. <laughs> <gasps> what? <laughs> That's not as well known the guy as Alex Trebek. I know, but for some reason I thought it, the idea. Now at the time, Salman Rushdie was still deep into hiding. He hadn't been the seen. Satanic verses. Yes, right. he hadn't been seen in several years. Yeah. And for some reason, I thought it was funny that he was going around. Uh, he would be going around threatening to kill people if they talked about their UFO experiences. Yeah. That was just me. That's what like I thought was funny. But like Chris and uh, Chris and Rob are both no. We're not getting Salman Rushdie. <laughs> the security alone, you know, we'd have to get a ton of people. Well, do people know what he looked well, like? Well, that then? was the other thing is, um, no. And so it was a stupid idea yeah. to begin with. So I called Glenn to complain that they wouldn't let me have Salman Rushdie. And Glenn's like going, it should be Johnny Cash. Because okay, Johnny man Cash, yes, Johnny right. Cash was the original man in black. It's like, oh, that's, yes, that's the greatest idea ever. But then Johnny Cash wasn't available. He didn't do it. He, he just At he, this point, the show is getting big so that you can get bigger cast. Right? But no, and and this is part of the thing is, and then it became difficult. Going okay, you have to find someone famous who's willing to go up to Vancouver for a day to say one line on a show that most people don't. They didn't know what it was yet. Okay. So it was like a suddenly, oh my God, who, it's, who are we gonna get? And she's like nowadays, there's like more famous people because people are now famous and they don't do anything. Right. So you probably get a lot of people. But okay, Johnny Cash couldn't do it. Uh, and so then I came up with uh, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and, so, and so Chris had heard that, that Spielberg responds more to written notes. This was before email. 
responds more to written notes than phone calls. So I was asked to write, to write a letter, right? And so I still remember my first line was, uh, Dear Mr. Spielberg, we'll be honest with you, you were not our first choice. <laughs> <laughs> you said you did this? Yeah. And, but but by, the, by the time I finished the letter, someone had called. And they go, he's not available. He's doing a film. Do you have that letter? I, I do. And, you know, a couple oh years later, God. I had a meeting with Spielberg, and I told him the story, and he claims he would have done it. But I don't believe him. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. he wouldn't have done it. Wow. So then it was like panic time, just like going, I don't know who we're going to get, and it's coming down to the last second. And uh, I was in Jeff Flaming's office. He was one of the other writers, and we were just throwing out names desperately, yeah. just throwing anybody famous. Yeah. And then he was the one that came up with Alex Trebek. And I go, that's, there you go. That's that it. works. And the company had been on Celebrity Jeopardy. And so we're like, oh, okay, we can get him. Because they, they were, they, yes, he had done a favor or something. And so we, okay, we try to get Alex Trebek. And I remember I was up in Vancouver and they call. And uh, someone comes in and goes, uh, Darren, Alex Trebek would like to talk to you on the phone. Whoa. Yeah. Now he hadn't agreed to do it yet, right? And I remember like going, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I get on the phone, it's Alex Trebek. And, and basically his thing was, is there any way like I could have a bigger part? That was essentially. But the whole point is that he can't. Right. Which I convinced him of somehow. Because it was like, I was like going, but your, your voice is so famous and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so at the end, he, he reluctantly said, oh, okay, I understand. And yes, I'll do it. And I remember hanging out with the phone going, yeah, I'm a producer now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great because even though he has one line, people remember that. Because it's everybody, you see everybody's reaction to him and everybody has a different reaction. And it's so funny. And Alex Trebek is the perfect guy to be there because you know it's him right away. Salman Rushdie, someone would be like, Salman Rushdie, even Spielberg. People know what he looks like, but, but someone would have to say, right. Spielberg, and you say Alex Trebek, but as soon as you see him, because people have seen Trebek more than they've seen Spielberg, right? Yeah, I agree. So he's on TV every yeah, single yeah. day. That's one of the things that if you go back and watch that, I love when he's in with a Roswell kid, yeah. and he puts his hand, and the Roswell kid looks at him and goes, hey, and, yeah. you, do, and you don't know. You don't know at the time why yeah. he's reacting it's like that. It's almost like it's someone you know. It'd be like, oh, hey, hey, Alex Trebek. That happened to me. I was at the gym and there was someone there who's like famous. And I just, it took me a second to like process. I was, I looked at him and I was like, oh, hey. Then I was like, oh, no, that's not someone I know. <laughs> no, you just, it's you just, think you do. Yeah. yeah, you think you do because yeah. I've seen him a ton of times on my television. Yeah, 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 I think his reaction is so funny. Oh, hey. Hey, hey. <laughs> um, um, and then the other thing I always want to tell is like uh, when we did this episode and uh, I went up to Vancouver to prep and uh, uh, Bob Goodwin, who was our uh, in charge of production. RW. Yes. Bob, yeah. RW Goodwin is Bob Goodwin. And, uh, and Bob had freaked out when I first turned in the script because my very first draft, I had intercut uh, the Scully interview with Jose Chung was broken up more. Okay. So where usually there's like 50, each scene is numbered. Right, right, right. So there was like 50 right. scenes for a normal X-File episode, but this one, the first draft, it was like 100. But they're mostly shorter scenes and they're bigger scenes split up. Right. There was nothing changed in it, but Bob saw 100 scenes right. and just shit his pants and just started course. screaming at me. Of course. So I had to like condense, just can put the scenes together. Yeah. So that was the first thing. And then when I went up to Vancouver, Bob pulled me aside and he said, he goes, Darren, uh, I don't understand this script at all. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, a lot of people on the production staff have come in this week 
and and said the same thing to me. They're like, what the fuck is that? Right. And he goes, but I tell them all, this is going to be a great episode. Because I can tell how excited you are about it. Yeah, and everyone trusts you because you've done, people loved Humbug. And right. But Brooklyn. the thing is, is that when that happened, I just thought it was funny that Bob admitted that he didn't understand yeah. this government. But now I look back at that and I just want to cry because I, I, it's not just like show business, but like any job, like how often does one of your bosses or your boss go, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. It makes no sense to me, but you seem to know what you, you're excited. So yeah. I'm behind you a hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, it's never happened since no. then. And it's like, like, I don't understand this. Fix it. And that was one of the things that I think why the show kind of, one of the things that worked was it really was had kind of a, we were all very different personalities, yeah. but it was kind of, we all, like I said, Bowman was not crazy about doing the episode, but I think he eventually, I don't want to say he ever, <laughs> he ever yeah, at the end really, go? well, this, and that's what kind of pains me is I'm sure if you ask Bowman, like what are his favorite episodes, this probably wouldn't be one of his. And yet I think it's like one of the greatest things he's ever done. Like, I just think the direction of this is like awesome. great, but he, you know, he likes the train shit, you know, he wants the action. And did and, you guys not see eye to eye a lot? No, eventually we all, we kind of got on the same page. We were, all, like I said, the same. There was like a the scene when the men in black come into the garage, Rocky's garage. And then they go out backwards. And then they go out backwards. It's like, like one yeah. of my favorite things. But I remember when we shot it, and I don't remember like what we did. He did something weird with the speed, so it would be faster or something. Yeah. And we had, shot, we, we had shot it, and we were going to move on to the next location. Okay, that's done. It's a wrap. And Rob started to get up, and he turned back to me, and he goes, is that going to look too silly? I was like, uh, it might. <laughs> I was like, let's shoot it again. Uh-huh. And then we shot it at a different speed. I don't remember yeah. what it was. But it was that kind of thing. It's like we both were worried about being too wacky, but we both knew what we kind of right. wanted. And so at the end, it, like I couldn't have asked for a better like the the footage is like I just and like things he added like the transition where like an actor a character will be talking and then you don't know there's been a transition to the next day right and then he starts talking cuts back and it's someone that, else there that yeah. that was that was his that was Rob's yeah, idea really and great. I just it, it just makes the audience kind of more uh, you know not knowing sure where yeah. they stand and We're I just love balance. I and just, it makes it all sort of wishy-washy and flowy and muddled in a way that obviously you know is what the episode's trying to be and the the opening shot we started talking about it but i love the opening shot because it's a funny visual gag that nobody does nobody does visual gags anymore but it's a metaphor for like the whole episode where you go oh that's a spaceship. It's your perspective. Because you've seen Star Wars, so yeah. you go, oh, that's a spaceship. Yeah. But then, oh, no, it's not. Yeah. And the whole episode, oh, this is an alien abduction. Right. Oh, because I'm watching the X-Files. Right. Uh, oh, no, it's men in suits, you know? And yeah. so the whole, that opening shot is like, that's what kind of goes throughout the entire episode. And well, you're, you do a lot about, like, perspective and sort of... Um uh, sort of playing with that and up- upending people's expectations a lot in all of your episodes where it's one like the the guy who's like the uh, Jim Rose in Humbug um, 
the the, the uh, when he pulls the guy the ch nipple chain and he goes ow, I thought that's really <laughs> yeah. funny, you know, because you yeah. think of this guy who can like withstand pain, and then you, so it's always like you think it's one thing and then it's another, and this one there's also you think it's the alien face and then it's the the stuffed cat, right? Yeah. Which usually in horror movies it's a real cat. Here it's a stuffed cat, which I thought was funny. <laughs> And then later when he, when he asks her, like, do you see patterns and things and you see something else? Like, I thought that was a very interesting, like, call out of some of the tropes of sci-fi and horror and of the show itself, uh, but in a way that makes sense within the story. So you recast, like, there's like a language of film we have, right? Where we accept certain things. Like, it's nighttime outside, but it's bright. Fucking, that's how movies are. Just deal with it. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of, when those things are called out, I, th I, I think it's very satisfying. Um, well, those are also the all that alien abduction. That was all that alien abduction lore. That was all part of it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That you think you see an alien face and then it's not an alien. That's face? how you start to go. Oh, what, why am I seeing alien faces? Oh, and then and you then you put a story yes, on it. That ah, that's so interesting. The other thing that's interesting is that whatever happened, and I'm not going to ask you what really happened, but that girl thinking that she was date raped, where it's yes, no. I'm glad you brought that up because I read a thing not, not too long ago where some, someone was writing about the episode and they thought that she had been date raped. And because of that, the whole episode was like well, completely so skewed. Yes. Yeah. And it, they were not date raped. They right. had, they had sex before we see them. They've right. had sex. Right. So they, she hasn't been raped, but after the, alien abduction thing and it all gets messy she doesn't yeah she doesn't remember it right. and the cops are saying no we gave you a, an exam right. and you apparently were probed you know right. so it, it wasn't an alien you know but no they the kid doesn't rape her and that's right. and that that messes up everything if it really uh, does it really right. does she's been violated in other ways where her memories have been stolen right. and so that violation sort of gets muddled with Sort of a sexual violation. Yeah, and I guess that that was my gag. It was one of those switches too, where you see these two kids and they're going, "Oh, I really like you." Oh, yeah. it's their first date, so you're assuming day. they're all innocent. Where actually they've just, you know, just screwed. Yes, they just screwed. You don't find that out until. Yeah, one of my oh, that, favorite. Oh, that was. Oh, I'm sorry, but that was another thing that was. Um, everybody's. Everybody says, uh, "If such and such happens, I'm a dead man." Yes. As yes. And I remember telling Rob, uh, as we were going over the scripts. Bowman going, uh, see, everyone needs to say that line really melodramatically until the guy at the end, the pilot in the diner, sees the guy's coming and then just kind of matter-of-factly oh, goes, because he's the only one that's actually going to be a dead man. He knows that. But everybody else is, dramatic. is, is melodramatic. And, and he that's like a thing that like, he hadn't picked up on. And so it was. That's one of the learning processes is that you have to point out to the director who has to do so much other shit. Right. Oh, see, there's this little tiny thread I've put right. in here. You know, blah blah blah. Right. Well, also I bet for a director, while you're reading it for the first time, you're not just reading the story. You're you're also like, all right, so I can shoot this like this. This has to be here. This is another location. Like, like today we just did a table read for the last episode of Silicon Valley. Right. The new season. And it was great, so good, so funny and intense. It's almost like an action movie. And so afterwards, I went up to the writer, and I was like, hey, great job, man. He's like, yeah, we, I don't know how we're going to shoot it. And I hadn't <laughs> even thought of that. Yeah. I was like, oh, right, we've added like extra production days because this episode has like so much shit happening in it. So I bet he's looking at it from that perspective, too. You know, you're looking at it as like this thing you've completed, and obviously you want your vision to come to fruition. But when you're writing... You, 
I don't think about like, oh, I wrote a scene in a funeral with 100 people. Find 100 people. But the guy making it is like, now I got to find 100 people. Or just locations. Yeah, locations. You don't know to the very last minute what your set locations are, so you don't know how to shoot it. So directors are all worried about that. Right. It's like directors too, like Rob, I always remember his thing was like, he was talking to me, like I'm explaining, oh, this line means this. And he's like, okay, when I do a whip pan, I'm going to go from right to left because that's like going backwards (laughs) in memory. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Okay. But all that shit, you know, I think subliminally plays on people. Yes, it all worked and it was all great. But like that's directors and writers are looking at it. One of my favorite lines of the, uh, the X-Files and of any show is, the love, is that all you men think about? That's <laughs> really funny. Yeah, that's one of my favorites, too. Yeah, yeah, and I know totally, I mean, that line is great, and, uh, but there's, I know a lot of guys who are just like, give their heart to a woman <laughs> immediately, like, I'm in love with you, you got to slow down. I know so many guys like that. Like, the, the, the stereotype is that guys just want to get laid. There's plenty more guys who just yeah. want to be in love so I've hard. I've always contended that men are more romantic than women. I, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's and yes, but I, that's part of it. Yes, no one agrees with me. Um, well, thank you so much. I'd love to have you back then when you after small. I know you're done, but small potatoes. You want to come back after that? No. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Great. Are you gonna get? Uh, are you getting Vince? Are you getting anybody else? Right. Well, I do want to get Vince. How did the nerdist? This Is isn't the, Nerdist. But how did they get Jillian before? Well, that was like, that's the whole big machine that, you know, they've got a PR team. PR I mean, that's thing, like Lionsgate, and that's a it's big... It's still wrong. Our whole... It's still <laughs> wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. What the fuck, right? She wants to do it. She said she'd do it. Yeah. and uh, But she's in London, so she's like, I'll Skype in, and I'm like, I'll wait until I can get her in the studio because yeah. I'm already going to be so nervous. I think it'll be better if we're face-to-face and I have like, you know three, four minutes to sort of just be like, hey, thanks for coming, all that kind of shit. So, but she, she's going to do it. So I'm just waiting. With Vince, I'm going to wait until... I have an end to Vince. I'm just going to wait until... Vince, I have a weird story where I was a big fan of Breaking Bad, right? Mm-hmm. Big fan of Breaking Bad. And my wife and I were on vacation when the last episode was airing. And so we were like, stay off Twitter, stay off social media, don't want to know what happens. And we're at the Louvre in Paris. And we're talking, literally talking about like, oh, it just aired, we can't... Then we look over and I'm like, is that Vince Gilligan? <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to Google. So she goes, hooks up to the museum Wi-Fi to see. And I just walk up to him and I'm like, hey, are you American? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, are you Vince Gilligan? And he's like, fuck. <laughs> he didn't do that. But that, he was very nice. I talked to him and I talked to his girlfriend. I believe it's his girlfriend, which he was wonderful. And then months later, I ran into him at a bar at this party. And I was like, hey, do you remember... And he was like, yeah, you were the only guy that recognized me on that entire <laughs> European trip. So I sort of know him, but I'm waiting until his episodes come in because he doesn't, he, he just joined the cast uh, season, I mean, yeah. the, the writing staff in season three. I think everyone now is like happy to talk about it where, because it's been so long ago. Yeah. And like there was a while there where I don't think anyone wanted to talk about the show. Well, or what, what, why do you think or, that is? Or you, anytime you work on anything and I wasn't there long, but you yeah. think about a thing and then you're like, okay. I'm done with that. I don't want to revisit it. But then enough time passes. It's like it's been fun talking about the episodes. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I didn't talk about half the things that I wanted to or just like the Clyde Bruckman. I don't remember what I said. But it's just like after all these years, it's kind of fun to just like talk about things. Like I said, that when you wrote them, you thought they just air. They go away. And they'd go away. I always had a fear when they aired. It was a time when L.A. was showing uh, helicopter 
police chases on yeah, the yeah, news. Yeah, that's right. And so I would watch the episode, my episodes in the air just going, please don't cut away. Please don't cut away. <laughs> that's right. That's where our priorities were. There was yeah. a time when it was like that just was, chases. Yeah. And then that episode of Drive that Vince Gilligan wrote, uh, season Started six, it. Brian Cranston, starts like that where it's yeah. like you because that was the that was the fad yeah at yeah the time. it starts with like you're it's been preempted for this police chase and then it turns into an episode of the x-files i thought that was really cool yeah i i got the sense for a little bit that maybe jillian and david duchovny jillian jillian and i don't know any of them but that they, they didn't really want to talk about it so much because they were like that was so long ago it's done but now i feel like they're sort of excited and interested in it again because i think all everybody involved with the show has sort of you know, moved on, and it's not like ho hopefully the thing that defines them. Yeah, they they, they, they don't see it like that. Oh, thank you so much for coming back and talking. No problem. About this. It was a lot of fun. Oh, I'm glad you had good. I had a good time. Um, and hopefully, we when we get more X Files, we see more Darren Morgan episodes. I think that would be really, really exciting for everybody. Uh, an episode about a. A Pakistani Maybe, podcaster I mean, who, for paranormal reasons, have, has to have sex with Scully. Uh, okay. That's all you want to I hear. Mean, that's a great pitch. That's a great all pitch. You, you know, uh, take it to Chris, see what he says. <laughs> see what he says. That's all you wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. No, that sounds like a great idea. So why don't you go beat it out and then we'll, <laughs> we'll get it to Chris. See what he says. Uh, thanks so much. Darren. No problem. Feral Audio. Hey, wrestling fans. And non-wrestling fans. Check out our podcast, You Should Love Wrestling, the show where we try to convince our friend Hi. to love wrestling. I hate wrestling. We talk about all the best and worst parts of wrestling. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Spills a lot of beer. Or Yoshiko. That's a literal sex doll that wrestles. All in an effort to help you love professional wrestling. Subscribe to You Should Love Wrestling on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app.